It's season one, episode one, and you're already passed out on your couch before lunch and have to visit a gynecologist's office for your job. Does this scream peak TV to you? Well, slap on your latex gloves and call your patient the town pump for trying to get birth control. This is Mad Men and Tonic. Welcome to our podcast, Mad Men and Tonic, recapping Mad Men one workday cocktail at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Christina. And I am Elias. And we decided to make this podcast because Mad Men is our all-time favorite TV yeah. show. It's the best one out there. Yeah, and it seems like a giant now, and when it first came out, it was really new and fresh, and we just loved every minute of it, and we just can't believe it's been... Five years since the series finale. Yeah, I know. It's it makes me a little sad. But we uh, we decided this would be a perfect time to go back and recap every episode and discuss every episode mm-hmm. and make a lot of drinks while we recap and discuss every episode. Yeah, fun ones that we will share the background and stories behind and how to make with with you for each episode. So, what's our first drink? First drink for the episode one, and it really couldn't be anything else. Dom's drinking one in the first scene of the show. Um, it's the old fashioned, and I, I feel like Mad Men repopularized this drink. I'd never heard of it until the show. Well, <laughs> we were in high school when the show came out. <laughs> right. So I, you're drinking <laughs> school, school fashion. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah Bacardi Raz fashion. Yeah. Um, or whatever your parents had in their liquor cabinet, but you were, you certainly weren't muddling things when you were that age. Well, no. true. Not on purpose. That's what I'm going to posit. I'll posit that this was made popular again by this. But it is one yeah. of the oldest cocktail mixes that there is, and supposedly it goes well with multiple types of alcohol. Not multiple mixed together. Uh, different kinds yeah. of alcohol. Seen recipes for tequila and vodka old fashions. Uh, um, one yeah. day I will make a tequila old fashioned. No, but. he always threatens to try to make a tequila old fashioned, which sounds even more foul Sometimes than a I'm scared one. to do it, but I will one day. One day, I swear, listeners, I will yeah. make a tequila. That's going to be a bonus fashion. episode because yeah. I'm not going to be part of it. <laughs> it's just going to be me throwing up. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the uh, recipe for an old fashioned is very simple. Um, you take a glass, um, generally just a regular cocktail glass, and you dissolve a small lump of sugar at the bottom um, with a couple dashes of Angostura bitters. You can use other types of bitters. Is that it, the brand? Yes. Okay. Angostura is a bitters brand. It's a distinct type. There are different types of bitters. Um, and what you do is you dab that onto the sugar cube and muddle it up. If you would like a drink that's easier to mix, um, you can use simple syrup, a couple spoonfuls of simple syrup with the bitters um that way you don't have to muddle but sometimes muddling's fun i think drinking especially in the 60s was a way to 
channeling, Take out some channeling, stress, channeling yeah. your other directions. But uh, that's those are the two options there. Um, you can also, as we'll see later in the show, have your child do the muddling <laughs> for you to simplify it and really streamline the at-home drinking process. Again, if you want an imperfect drink, yeah, let your child make your drink. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, we don't have children. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> but uh, after that... <laughs> Just add in some whiskey as much as you like. It says a jigger in one of the classic recipes. I like the whiskey to be stronger, and this mixture is going to highlight the alcohol. And we're using that thematically as well because Don drinks rye. Um, but feel free to use any type of whiskey you want, really. And uh, then you mix it all together. You can throw in some sort of citrus peel, lemon, orange, both. Um, make sure you get some of the citrus oil from the skin in there because that's what's going to give it its aromatic essence. Um, and then I've also seen people use a cherry, maraschino cherry, and drop that in there. I like to do that. I like the color. gives it a more red tint. I like a little bit of juice in there. I've also seen some people muddle the fruit with the sugar. I don't like to do that because you don't get to taste the fruit then. It's just this kind of jam layer mm -hmm. at the bottom. Mm -hmm. um, but again, to each his own. If you have a way of doing it that's better than mine, cheers. And, cheers. Uh, here's our first drink. All right, and then we get the intro. The first time we get to see it, and it's one of my favorite TV intros, I think. Yeah? Right. Well, one of the best drum solos to ever be in an intro, for sure, is in this one. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't love it. I never... Yeah, but I like... Like, it's one I never skip, because I... It gets me like in the mood and like pumped to watch the show and just in a kind of like loungy vibe. It's very much of the early aughts, late aughts era. RJD2 with this. It was made on some computer program. Yeah. You can tell dotted line moving dun, through. Dun, yeah. Dun. Yeah. Um, but it, it does set up the show. It, it's a good contrast to the show. At least to start, which in the music is a it's a very dark colored show in terms yeah. of how they film it. That's true. Mm -hmm. um, and this is bright white ads going by. Yeah, cartoons and of course the faceless. He looks like the guy from the Stonks meme. Have you seen that? He's no. the faceless businessman. <laughs> it's just a guy that has like a generic face <laughs> with an arrow going either up or down, and it just says stonks underneath them. It's, oh, like stocks? Yeah, like yeah, stocks. Yeah. Except it says stonks. Yeah. Um, and like and, the ads that are falling down around him are, you know, place you in the era. Like there's the family, kind of there's like the picket fence houses and the engagement ring and a cute nuclear family. And then there's, on the other side, there's the women, you know, are either this family figure or they're kind of this dolled up, sexy, like, pin-up-y. Right. And drinks. And on the one hand, there's this cool, suited cartoon guy doing his own thing, looking suave, but he also falls out of a building. Yeah. So and he's tumbling, like, we'll overwhelmed back, by the life. We'll come back to this, too, and why this is in the intro to the show from day one. I think that this is an interesting aspect of an intro to a show that has someone falling out of a building. Yeah. So that, I mean, that is, and then of course it ends with Don or this doppelganger who we assume is Don. Yeah. Um, back. 
like to the uh, cartoon. Like he's like on a couch and he's like he has his arm extended out, like really in a really relaxed kind of way with a cigarette, and you see him from this image from the back. And that I've you know I've heard people talk about like. His name is Don Draper, and from this very first hint of him, he's draped over the couch, like, you know, just all the cool. money and all the cool, cool and all the, all the vibe. And then the show from that does something that I don't think it does again. No, not that. that. I can think of. No. It goes to a title card which defines the term madman. It says, a term they coined in the late 1950s to describe the advertising executives of Madison Avenue. Get it? They coined it. You get it? Yeah, I get yeah. it. Madison <laughs> Avenue. It's not Mad good. Men. It's not good. No, and it's, again, it's like the cardinal rule of coolness is you don't give yourself a nickname. You get one from someone else. So, but the it just kind of shows you the sort of like self-congratulatory circle jerk type of guys these are. And these are the best right guys away. in the business and that's the nickname they came up for themselves. Shows you what kind of viewers and people they're dealing with that have made them the best in the business because that is just I, I feel like you could do better yeah but well and it's also men yes they're you know their industry even though as we see there are plenty of women working at the office and other types of roles they view their industry and it largely is driven by men yeah get ready to watch some some jerk offs jerk off <laughs> the show opens on a bar or a diner Clearly, they serve alcohol. Yeah. Don's sitting at it. It looks like a dining table, but he's got an empty drink, an old-fashioned, orange slice, cherry. It's bone dry at this point, um, and we assume he's working because he's scribbling ad ideas on a cocktail napkin. Yeah, like you do working at a bar uh, what a, alone what a, what at night. Era, yeah, right? when we got things done in this country, <laughs> um, and he is working on. A cigarette ad, you can pretty much tell. Um, mm -hmm. Bus boy or waiter comes up to him. He strikes up a conversation with... Uh, he with lucky strikes up a conversation. Not bad. <laughs> bad. Continue. Um, asking why this guy smokes... Why Sam is the name. Smokes what brand. And immediately after that, or pretty close to immediately after that... Um, the head waiter or someone above Sam comes over and asks if... I don't even know that he's necessarily above Sam. He might just be just the, the same, same... That's a good point. ...like, title, but white. So that makes him, you know, have, like, obviously structural power. And he comes but... up and asks if Sam's bothering Don. Don... Assume Sam's bothering Don, yeah. Don says... Basically brushes this off. Um, and does it very tactfully to where he's respectful, but still puts... The white waiter in his place. Yeah. And then makes him go off and make another old-fashioned. So we're going again. Round two. I gotta figure this At out. At least two. Yeah. And this kind of sets up the rest of the episode because we see Don maneuver through potentially uncomfortable situations very well. I don't know how uncomfortable of a situation this was in 1960, but obviously he's very quick to understand and fit himself into... The dynamic, yeah. The di whatever dynamic is around him. Yeah. Um, and this also sets up what the premise of the episode is. It's surrounded by the need to make this ad for cigarettes. Yeah. Which clearly are dangerous. Yeah, and they're talking about this 
Reader's Digest, you know, everyone's read this article recently, and it was an article that was kind of magnifying the dangers of smoking and the connection to lung cancer in a way that I guess hadn't really been in the public discourse yet as much. And so, you know, the cigarette company is needing to kind of reframe their approach in light of that. If it came out today, it would never be in the public discourse because it was in Reader's, Reader's Digest. Digest. It'd be <laughs> in your grandma's discourse. She'd make me read it about how smoking yeah. is bad. But I, apparently this magazine was a more legitimate back in 1960. As of right now, I think of it as like it's on the checkout line uh, shelf right next to the tabloids and people and then um, – TV Guide, which yeah. is there any is still less relevant magazine than TV Guide? I don't even know if it exists still, but they're the same kind of hand size, yeah. pulpy paper, shiny paper. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Apparently, they but were it's, cracking yeah, some hard news back in 1960. It's buzzing in this day. Um, and of course, while he's kind of thinking about this difficulty, he looks around the bar and everybody is smoking. Yes everybody and it's you know a you know a fancy kind of bar and it's all people that seem of his same kind of social right. strata and as someone people our age this is so alienating to see because by the time i was i would say like nine or ten most restaurants did not allow smoking yeah and a lot of i don't know about bars but i mean by 07, when I was in college, 08, mm -hmm. when I was in college, I can't remember that many bars allowing people to smoke inside even. Yeah. Yeah, I remember, like, going to spots when I was a kid, and occasionally there'd be, there'd be like, a smoking section. Right. Applebee's always yeah. had a smoking section. Mm. Yeah. Add that smoky flavor to the <laughs> otherwise bland food. Yeah. Well, but, yeah, so... Uh, this just again it sets up the one of the big conflicts of the episode and of the social time we're in. The next scene, Don is going to an apartment building and it's Midge that opens the door. Midge. Midge is this cool, like sexy, like casual artist chick. She's a beatnik. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's she's just got like this white button up that's kind of tied up and like black cigarette pants and disheveled hair. And it's interesting to see the switch in Don because he goes from in the last section being um, really controlled and um, having power in the situation to showing that he's being a little vulnerable and insecure, which is also kind of interesting to see watching the show back because it's it shows you how he develops during the show because that's not always the case that he's right. showing that. Well, and he's now dealing with a different social group in a multiple yeah. number of ways. Number one. A very good-looking woman. Mm -hmm. Number two, a generation that we're not sure he fully understands or grasps their mentality, and which also places where we are in the '60s as well, because we're not we're at the beatnik era, which is a very associated with the '50s very much I mm -hmm. think, now. But but he, he's not that. Yeah, but he likes to like get in with that. You know, he likes to well, like he likes to get in. Well, no. <laughs> he likes to feel cool and to like be part of it even though it's not like actually where he fits he likes to like explore this world of kind of like casual um you know hippie like off kilter type not off kilter but like you know 
Yeah, I wonder if Don blending into other social scenes will come up again. In this yeah, show. so curious. <laughs> so curious. <laughs> um, but yeah, and you can see that she's kind of like on a similar intellectual level to Don, where she's kind of can spar with him and go back and forth, and he's sort of like trying to pitch pitch his um, ideas for this cigarette ad and like talk to her about his concerns. Um, but she gets some good quips in, like... You should get married. You think I'd make a good ex-wife? She's, she frames the terms of this relationship. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Where she's not looking for uh, a house out in the suburbs. No. Or anything like that. Which is important. Yeah. And, um... Yeah, they talk about the same Reader's Digest articles. She's read it, too. And she says, you had a similar problem five years ago. And, you know, I know now I feel better knowing that doctors smoke. Yeah, and Don's almost pitching to her at this mm -hmm. point. So we don't really know what Midge does in this scene. But we get an idea that she's at least familiar with the trade or with some aspect of what Don does. Well, she's and drawing for greeting cards. She's drawing puppies for greeting cards, so she's artistic at right. least. And we, I guess we know that Dawn's trying to come up with a tagline, so there is a creative connection between them. Yeah. Um, and then, you know. Then we get Dawn at his Slytherin best, and uh, of course this scene goes where many scenes will go in the future. Yeah. Why do you say Slytherin best? She is, he's you know, so equally into it. Slinky and just some yeah. of the things he says. He's, well, they're going to hook up, yeah. and they do hook up. And then they wake up the next morning, and, you know, you can tell he's, it's the cold, the cold light of dawn, and he's nervous about his upcoming day because he still feels like he doesn't have anything ready for the pitch. Right. And we go to work, finally, to Sterling Cooper where the show, a lot of the show will take place. Um, the first thing you see is we're obviously in a skyscraper and it's looking right down at those little rats, those peons rushing into one of these gigantic buildings. Um, and then it immediately jumps to the, ho not the hotel, the <laughs> office, office building. building lobby. The re revolving um, door. And the door doesn't stop moving. And this, what well, looks like the same person in the same <laughs> outfit yeah. comes through over and over and over again. And this is the rat race. Yeah. This is the rat race. We jump right into the elevator where we see Peggy. Oh, and Peggy. she's surrounded by rats. Um, three, three rats that we'll come to know and well, love to some extent. <laughs> um, Kinsey, Cosgrove. Cosgrove. And Crane. Yeah. And they're already talking. They've already eyed oh, yeah. Peggy up and down. And she's, it's like the scene, the camera is like looking into the elevator as if you were like, the doors had opened, you were looking in. And she's in the front and the guys are kind of standing behind her and talking like in a way to, so she'll overhear or she'll hear everything they're saying, but not having to like look her in the eye when they're saying it. Right. And they're talking about. Another guy's bachelor party, Pete, the Rat King. <laughs> Pizza Campbell. Greasy, <laughs> greasy Pizza Campbell. <laughs> and uh, the elevator goes up to the office floor where they all get out. And uh, it splits into two different scenes. One of the three men going into Pete's office mm -hmm. and waving a cabaret or a burlesque or a strip 
show thing in front of him. A like pamphlet. advertisement, yeah. yeah. It's his bachelor party, and he's on the phone with his wife, who he just really must have charmed her socks off and reassuring her that uh, <laughs> that everything was going to be fine about the bachelor party because he says, of course, I love you. I'm giving up my entire life to be with you, aren't I? Romance. Yeah. Yes, that's what I said before I proposed to you, I think. Yeah, that's like, a, yeah, basically about that. <laughs> like, right. Now that you put it that way, right. let's <laughs> get married. <laughs> and uh, then we move on. We switch back to Peggy. Yeah. And so it's Peggy's first day, we learn. And Peggy is, she's wearing like a yellow sweater and a long skirt. And it's long in a way that stands out in this office. Um, that she's dressed more conservatively and kind of more demurely than some of the other gals that are working here. In contrast, Joan is wearing this green, this like really pretty emerald green sheath off the shoulder dress. And also, uh, we get Joan. Yes. Yes. We get Joan. We get Christina Hendricks, like, Babe City of the mid-2000s. Formative TV character. Yeah. Jo- Joan's nothing short of an icon. Yeah, no, she's... She's one of the most memorable characters from the show. A presence. Fashion-wise and personality-wise. Yeah. And, and she's always wearing, yeah, these, like, great sheath dresses that show off, like, her slam and curves, basically. And, and we, so that's yeah. what she's wearing in this and scene. And we get to see Joan at her best, right off the bat. Which is taking charge of the office and feeling as though she's like a mentor to sweet, naive Petty. The Peggy, old, The old me. backhand mentorship. Yeah. You gotta love it. The neg. It's a... It's a... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so right away, because of, you know, Peggy's demeanor and how she is dressed, Joan knows that she doesn't live in the city right it's it's so obvious that peggy is an outsider which is such a contrast from the first part of don's intro and then the second part of don's intro with midge Mm -hmm. he is kind of an outsider but a welcome one we're not sure peggy's just getting the intro here we're not sure if how she's she's gonna gonna move and kind of yeah because the first thing that's recognized is that she's not welcome yeah, or not, or not I would part say of not the... welcome, but not from the city. Yeah. She's from Bay Ridge in Brooklyn, um, which is at that time its own city. It's not Which is yeah, right. just for yeah. hard to hard to contemplate, but for reference, the LA Dodgers used to play in Brooklyn and be the Brooklyn Dodgers, and they were rivals of the New York Yankees because was that a was a different city. city. Um yeah. and now we know that from our New York friend Andy he says that's about a 45-minute train ride from Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, to Manhattan. Today. Who knows what it was then. Yeah, yeah. But it was a long, that's a long ride uh, for people that and don't And she had to put in, in her curlers yeah. in the morning and do all that stuff, too. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, it's almost, and the way that, like, Joan, like, easily pinpoints it, it's, like, in Silence of the Lambs, like, that scene <laughs> There's, like, there's the autopsy scene where, like, all those, like, male FBI guys are doing this autopsy of um, one of the first victims of Buffalo Bill, and they're trying to, like, you know, just discern what they can about her, and Clarice Starling looks at her nail polish and sees it's, like, chipped, like, glitter nail polish, and she says, no, this girl's not from the city, she's town. 
like not even country but town like she can like the way that you know other women can pick up on really subtle presentational details as kind of showing where your background is or you know what your vibe is wow so just wait till the murders start in this show right <laughs> well i'm just just saying that's interesting no it is and um joan doesn't even hesitate she says it immediately and knows immediately yeah she you know, asked I'm... her how many trains it took her to get there right. which is like the subtle sort of dig like yeah. oh like what do you do like or where do you live right so how many trains we... did it take to get here now we get a power dynamic of some of the women in the mm -hmm. show joan owns this office you can tell from this scene yeah at least in terms of what the women do yeah in the office well she's yeah she's definitely a power player and this transitions right into a power dynamic scene with the men yeah well wait but before we do that there's a couple just quotes that highlight this dynamic that i want to point out in a couple of years with the right moves you'll be in the city with the rest of us of course, if you really make the right moves, you'll be out in the country and you won't be going to work at all. Right, and this is important because right, basically right as she says that, Don walks by with Roger Sterling. Yeah. And we walk right into Don's office with Roger Sterling, who is... Your favorite character. <laughs> if I was a Joan, I was an icon. Roger Sterling is just one of the greatest people to grace the television set. Um, <laughs> and immediately... In this scene, he dresses down Don. Subtly. So, yeah, he says... You look like a hundred bucks. Long night? A hundred bucks in 1960s, $875. So, Roger thinks that's no good. That's yeah, not that's good. not a lot of money, but it, yeah. But after that flex, what's most important, I think, about this scene is that these two are friends in the way they talk. Yeah. It's not Even just though Sterling owned, is one of the owners of the firm, yes. yeah. You can definitely tell... That Sterling is the boss. He's pristinely dressed. Three-piece suit. Yeah. Gray three suit. Three-piece gray is hair. The Sterling classic. He yeah. always wears the three-piece. Yeah. Which it's old-fashioned. Yeah, but it kind of looks great. Yeah. Yeah, he um, rocks it. And then he asks Don about some of their hiring policies or hiring history. Um, let's just say it's not... It's meant to show you... The era we're the in. The era we're in. Jews, Italians, delis yeah. are mentioned. Not it's great. Rough. But it is important to set up the relationship between these two, which is one of the backbones of the show. And also that after being told he looks like 100 bucks, Don opens his, yeah. his desk drawer to find like a bunch of pristinely pressed white button downs, one which he puts on like at his office. He's right. so used to just showing up, like, disheveled from the night before that he's got dress shirts there to put on. Right. And it's important to know that before Roger leaves, he points out that Don missed a button. Again, just making sure Don knows that... Yeah. He's on top here. He's the boss. Um, and maybe showing some of Don's anxiety. Yeah. About his big pitch coming up. And now we go further down the employment ladder. Yes. But yeah, we... We, oh, and so Don, you know, Roger leaves and Don is in his office. His purple heart tumbles out of his drawer. Wow. How yeah. casual. Yeah. We'll come, but, back, we'll come back to that later. But we know Don's, I mean, you have served, a purple heart yeah. because he's served and he yeah. hurt in a war. So we know that much. Yeah. And then, yeah, and Don, like, busts out a resistance band, like, and he's, like, 
you know, working his muscles while he has a cigarette in his mouth is smoking. Hey, so that's, again... You've the... got to get jacked. You've got to stay <laughs> yeah, in shape. Get yoked at work, you know, yeah. smoke a little, flex a little. <laughs> Those resistance bands, man, they are so <laughs> cartoonish almost. But yeah. it's um, just great. Yeah. It's, it's really a cartoonish scene yeah. in a way. Well, and then Sal comes in. Sal from the art department, Sal Romano... He comes in with a drawing of, like, a hot guy smoking. And he's like, yeah, my neighbor posed for this. He always looks very relaxed. And then Don makes some quip, like, you know, why don't we have, like, a woman in a bathing suit for the same ad? You could get a real model. And Sal says, you know. I love my work, basically. Without much yeah. feeling behind it because it's never discussed in this scene or in this episode, but... You get the sense that, um, you know, Sal is gay and hiding it at, at his workplace yeah, and in his whole life. Yeah, we get that multiple times in the episode. Um, but they talk, and you can tell, again, that this is where Sal is one rung below Don, basically, mm-hmm. in, this, yeah. in this employment ladder that we're looking at. And then Sal makes maybe the most horrifying drink I've ever seen. <laughs> just a glass of whiskey puts and it. puts an Alka-Seltzer in it. <laughs> like a fizz, it's yeah. It's just mind-blowing. I cannot imagine that this is good. No. It's like when you're, yeah, you're still drunk, and you're, like, trying to, like, stop your hangover from coming. Like, it's just bizarre. Or you're an alcoholic, but you can, like, you want to act like you're still taking care of yourself? Yeah, I don't know. But it's also in the morning. It's still in the morning, and... He's able to do this in the office because Don is a full bar in his office. Yes. Like everyone does at this workplace right. that has an office. Uh, otherwise, you have to use a drawer if you're in a cubicle, yeah. right? Yeah. And then said, so, so, should we drink before the meeting or after or both? Um, and then they have this German psychiatrist or um, psychologist um, come in and she's talking about the research behind the cigarette ads because, you know, they know that cigarettes are, they're talking, there's a lot of public discussion about the danger. So she's trying to talk about how people feel about that and what advertising approach to take. Um, Sal again, makes a kind of, you know, telling remark. So what are we supposed to believe that people are living one way and secretly thinking the exact opposite? That's ridiculous. Where he's been kind of doing that with his sexuality through the scene. Let's just say that this doctor is not taken seriously. No, and because I think her being a woman is part of that. They're, you know, they're sort of listening to her but not crediting what she is saying in the research. And her data goes in the trash. Yeah, and her, her main takeaway is, you know, what about people having a death wish, you know, that death drive. And they're like, we're not going to do that in our advertisement, basically. Wow, rough morning. It's nap time. <laughs> yeah. Put on a new shirt and drank and talked to some people. This is one of our, nap. yeah, and this is one of our first what time is it again moments that we get in this show because it feels like Don's been in the office for like two hours. hours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He takes a nap, and important to know that you hear some bomb sounds while he's napping. Explosions, yeah. It's a um, flashback. And then he also meets Peggy again for the first time, who comes in to wake him up and say Pete's on his way. Oh, yeah. She, he met him. He met her before, but he apparently forgot this. Right. So it just shows you again where Peggy is in this ladder. <laughs> um, and then Pete comes in. 
Yeah, Pete the Creep comes in, and he he tells Don the same thing. You look like a hundred bucks, but he doesn't mean it as an insult no, the way Roger it. does. It's like it's a compliment. It's, he's like, wow, you look like a hundred bucks. Looking good, Don. Yeah. Um, and then they again make some off-color comments about the folks that they're about to meet for this meeting, um, which is Rachel Mencken, and she's a Jewish woman that's an owner of, or she and her, her father's the owner of this department store. But, right, Mankins, um, which yeah. we're supposed to equate to one of the big department like Barney's stores or in something. New York. Yeah. Something yeah. that might just be New York-based, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. But, like an upscale department store. But before this, Pete needs to dress down Peggy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Rightfully, Don tells Pete he is tough to take first thing in the morning. And Pete says, I've never heard any complaints. Gross. Um, and he says, speaking of which, who's your friend? Referring to Peggy, also gross. Um, and he, he also notices her, her garb. But I meant, where are you from? Are you... Amish or something? Uh, New York. I, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, he's, me. you know, he's talking about this kind of commenting on what she's wearing. And Don apologizes that he left his manners back at the frat house, which, right. if he ever had them, sure. And Don takes a good moment after this meeting to, like, put Pete back in his place. Mm-hmm. Um, Telling him the future Mrs. Campbell is a lucky woman. And then Pete Pete implies like Don is interested in Peggy. And Don says, We're gonna, we're both men here, so I'm going to be direct. Well we find out Pete's twenty six in this scene too. Mm-hmm. And Pete So as Don puts it I bet the whole world looks like one great big brazier strap just waiting to be snapped. <laughs> you are good with words, Draper. But he reminds him that you know, as big as the city in the world can be, the business is small. Advertising small, and so just be careful who you malign. Yeah. Which is important. Don shows a bit of humanity here. Sure. Uh, yeah. And a bit of, but, but at the same time, is this really Don sticking up for Peggy, or is this Don perching and like positioning himself above Pete? Yeah. Because what we get from this scene is Don. These last two scenes, we get that Don, that number one, doesn't like Pete. And that yeah. perhaps maybe well, nobody no likes, likes Pete. Pete. <laughs> and that Don also views Pete as a threat. Yeah. But also, it's kind of it's kind of like a parallel to what Joan was doing with Peggy in the first episode, where it's sort of establishing your dominance in the workplace by trying to, you know, do something acting as though you're being helpful, but really you're just showing how much better of a command you have than the other person. Right. Yeah. Um, and then they just get ready to go into the meeting yep. with the retail Jew. <laughs> yeah, and really uncomfortably, Don introduces himself to someone who has just been, or he he introduces himself to someone that's been introduced to himself as David Cohen. And yeah, Don mistakenly assumes that he's like the from who's running Minkins department yeah, store. Like he's from the. Store. Which Roger lets him know a couple seconds, a couple Ugh, seconds later, after God. a very awkward exchange, that Mr. David Cohen works in the mailroom of Sterling Cooper, and that is after Don <laughs> realizes that Mankin's representative is Rachel Mankin. Yeah, who 
loves, a Jewish woman. Yes. Um, and then, yeah, Roger makes some gross statement about how they basically just found someone in the agency that was Jewish to come to this meeting to show the Mankins representatives that they have, like, a Jewish person working here. But, yeah, and Rachel's wearing this, like, really cool, like, purple Chanel suit with, like, a double strand of pearls and, like, pearl earrings and a pearl bracelet, and she looks, like, very Upper East Side and, like, a boss bitch. Next scene, Peggy goes to the doctor on her first day of work as a secretary because she's been sent to a gynecologist to get birth control. This scene <laughs> interrupts the what you might call the climax scene of the episode for what is one of the most horrifying. Yeah, just shocking. Two to five minute exchange that I can remember on. TV that doesn't involve gore or SVU type yeah. situations. No, it is. And the gynecologist is smoking during this, during her pap smear. Right. But um, he puts gloves on at least. Yeah, at least. <laughs> and Peggy, I, Peggy's reading a, like a little pamphlet. It's your wedding night. What every, what every bride should know how to be a good wife. But then there's like this weird exchange where she's there because Again, she's been sent here by her supervisor, Joan, to get birth control because that's like a necessary part of her life as a secretary on Madison Avenue. Yeah, first day of work, you get your cubicle, you meet your boss, and then you go to the gynecologist. Because you're going to be fucking so much. Get an exam, yeah. Yeah. Right. You're expected uh, to be sexually available to your workplace. Let's just say this doctor is... A real creep. Now, creepy. coming from two attorneys, doctors are our natural enemies. <laughs> <laughs> but this one is. But this one really, cake. this yeah. one really lives up to the <laughs> reputation. I, I mean, he just. Yeah, like on one hand, she's there to get birth control, but on the other hand, he's like subtly like, "You better not abuse this." Right. Daily medication that keeps you from getting pregnant. Who's this examination for? Yeah. Is it for him or her? I yeah. don't know. No, it's, it's an... It says, even in our modern times, easy women don't find husbands. The, again, yeah. Let's put Peggy in her place. Every single person that is going to meet Peggy in this episode, basically, is going to rearrange her role and responsibility in this office. And this is just... Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. And she, you know, she's assuring him that she's very responsible. You know, she's trying not to come across, you know, she's trying to be compliant with his remarks about her not using birth control too much, even though she's there to get it. Um, she's like, I'm very responsible. And she, he says, yeah, you know, I'm sure you are. Now, Joan. And so that's, you know, what we kind of learned that Joan has referred her to this guy specifically. And they've had some... You know, past yeah, something thing going on or whatever. Know, but oddly, yeah. Peggy seems most comfortable so far in this scene. <laughs> I know, um, no, but it's not like far off from her workplace scenes. I would say no, it is. But this seems like yeah. a normal power structure that she's used to. Yeah, it's not like surprising. She doesn't like get up and say like, "How dare you bring up this insane stuff while I'm getting a pap smear." Um, but yeah, 
And then we jump from that. Back to the office, back, back to Rachel Mencken. If back you didn't to think that was awkward, <laughs> let's well, walk into this meeting between Mencken's department store and Sterling Cooper. They're serving Bloody Marys and shrimp. Well, <laughs> shrimp. shrimps are not kosher, so... Bad start. Yeah, not a yeah. good start, Boris. <laughs> <laughs> and off we go. Everyone's dressed to a tee. Everyone's yeah, ready. This is your true. first understanding of like a formal meeting that they do like a pitch meeting mm -hmm. and it is just so clear that how abnormal it is for these guys to be meeting with a jewish woman yeah and like a jewish business owner because they uh -huh. not only make mention as we've already said that she's a woman they didn't even think she was in charge yeah and she had to be like yeah my father you know, sent me. He also expected me to be a man like you guys do. They also ask why she didn't go to apparently the Jewish agencies down the street. And she said basically that we've been doing that and we're losing money. And yeah, and like, why does it matter? Like, I'm coming to you guys. You're, you know, one of the best in the business. Because, I want your expertise. Right. Because we want non Jewish people, is basically what she implies there. And at their store to, you know, they want their store to not be treated with the same <laughs> ire that she is being treated with. And this is Don's second, you know, interaction in the episode with a woman with agency, I would say. Or with a female. After the yes. doctor, yeah. Or the, After the psychiatrist. Yeah. I thought maybe. Yeah. I yeah. didn't think about the psychiatrist. But yeah. Um, and this time he knows... That he's not gonna have sex with her, so he Yet. doesn't react as. <laughs> Yet. Yeah, well, he doesn't react as kindly to getting um, some clap back. Yeah, and basically ends by ending the meeting. Yeah, because she's you know challenging him on his assumptions about what type of business she wants to have because their suggestion is coupons, and she's like, "No, I don't want to do coupons. We're not a you know we're an upscale store. That's not what I want to do." Right. Um, and he walks out. Yeah, and. Then there's another weird exchange with Pete where, you know, Pete tells him, I'm not going to pretend I don't want your job. And there's plenty of room at the top, buddy, am I right? And, like, he tries to, like, shake his hand, and it's just, like, so awkward. Don doesn't take his hand, looks disgusted, and tells him they're pregnant. And then Pete, as Don's walking away, whispers, like, under his breath, fuck you, to Don. <laughs> And then um, there's a little scene where Peggy, where Joan brings Peggy into the switchboard and they meet the gals running the switchboard. Um, again, she is, it is suggested to Peggy that she should dress a little sexier for work. Um, but then we go into the Lucky Strike meeting, which is the big one that yes. Don has been afraid of. Um, you know, as we've seen, the confident Don Draper is still fearful of something, and that is this meeting. Um, this apparently was John Hamm's audition. Wow. scene so which is you know was probably just before a breath real, of fresh air before real tobacco executives were there and before Barbara, don ham like was known really i believe know. he was just a high school drama teacher in los angeles yeah that would and then he like got bit parts but stardom here which is awesome um it's yeah it's the most iconic scene of the episode and up there for the season even i would say um, and it really just shows you why, you know, all, you know, at first Don's kind of on, kind of sh seems like a little shaky, 
during the earlier parts of the episode, this just cements him as a powerhouse. You meet Don here. Creative. Yes. Yeah. yes. Um, starts off so bumbling, stumbling, because no one knows how to deal with this revelation that, hey, smoking three packs of cigarettes a day. At work included. At work. <laughs> might kill you. Probably will. Earlier yeah. than you expected. Yeah. Dangerous stuff. But people are just, you know, just coming to terms with this. But they have this big client and this lucky strike and these guys, you know, it's in their interest to have a dynamite ad campaign that negates the bad effects of this Reader's Digest article. And so it's basically like Don has been cold called, like, you know, if you're a law student or in a yeah. big college class, you might be familiar with this concept of... Uh, I didn't read um, last night. He has sorry. nothing to say. You know, he's super <laughs> awkward. And then Pete... Pizza Campbell tries to shoot his shot by bringing up that same research that Don literally threw in the garbage by being like, well, what if people have a death wish? And the cigarette guys, Lee Garner and Lee Garner Jr. are like, what? So the base of this ad would be if you want to die, like die with us. Like, no. And even Roger and Don are like, fuck Pete. Like, you know, yeah. you can see them, like, just looking at him, like, what are you doing? These tobacco guys, they are no joke. Yeah, and they're, they, like, southern, like, right. my grandpa, like, smoked tobacco and he lived until he was 93 and yeah. died of a heart attack or, you know, getting in a buggy accident. Like, you know, they're hard, hardcore believers in their product. But Don, as, as they're getting ready to leave, Don swoops in and gives you what? He is Seems, being paid yeah. the big bucks for. And what advertising a lot of the times is all about with these controversial products. Gentlemen, before you leave, can I just say something? I don't know, Don. Can you? Again, Roger just, just roasting never him. misses a shot yeah. to, uh, to put people where they need to be. And then Don turns out this great thing where he says, you know, actually you've been done a favor by, the, by Reader's Digest and the Federal Trade Commission. This is the greatest advertising opportunity since the invention of cereal. He, the premise of this is, like, everyone's cigarettes are poisonous. He's like, but, like, let's just emphasize something that makes yours seem different. We have six identical companies making six identical products. We can say anything we want. Which is that they're toasted, like the tobacco's toasted in the sun. Yeah, it's a classic little quick jerk-off of the company and then say... Here's what we do. Misdirection. Yeah. We say, everyone knows that the cigarettes are dangerous, but ours are toasted. Yeah, which sounds kind of like healthy. Like it sounds like so they might not the be sun. dangerous. As if the cancer comes from some chemically, mm -hmm, something else. chemically processed thing that other cigarette companies do. Yeah, and then they're like, well, everyone, you know, the guys don't get it quite at first. They're like. But everybody else's tobacco is toasted. No, everybody else's tobacco it's poisonous. Lucky Strikes is toasted. It is. Oh, yeah. For, for someone that had not had any familiar with advertising or how it works, it's just brilliant yeah. to see this happen. Because, oh, it's so cynical. God, it's but so it's cynical. Like so but it's, like, so good, though, But it's, too. like, it it's works. Like, yeah, that's exactly what people want And to these hear. are top businessmen, and they just, they understand how good this is. Yeah. Um, and a uh, historical checkpoint that has been Lucky Strikes 
slogan since the early 1900s. Oh, wow. I believe it's still on the cigarette packages. That's crazy. Um, so you leave this meeting feeling like Don has won. And oh, now they go get things. Yeah. You had me worried. I don't know if you were drunk or not drunk. But that was inspired. And the scene is the fun is dampened when the boys, the frat boys, the rat boys come in. Because they heard about it. I don't know. I mean, Pete probably told them. They heard about it. And so they want to, like, celebrate Dawn. And Pete starts schmoozing. Pete gets shut down again. Yeah. And then Roger's like, I'm going to leave, basically. Because this is so annoying. But they ask Dawn. They almost plead with Dawn to come out to the bachelor party. And he says... Maybe next time. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking brutal. He's like, I know Pete. This cannot end well. Piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But now Don has to, like, reassert control over his domain. Because it's pretty clear from the lucky strike thing that Pete went through his trash. He got that report. So he has to throw down the hammer on Pete. He does say something to Pete like, if that research was any good, I would have used it. Yeah, and then he has to throw down the hammer on Peggy, but that's after oh, Peggy just trying she also to, shoots her shot. Yeah, trying to define a role here, and because she, she's been told all. To be fair, she's been told all day. Basically, you're you're here to like sleep with your boss and to like flirt with everyone here. and make sure he's drunk all the time. Yeah. And yeah, and into you. Don doesn't take it. No. And he, he's like, this is like, you know, I'm your boss. You're my secretary. I'm not your boyfriend. And don't let my arch rival go through our trash. Yeah. So now they're actually at Pete's real bachelor party at this old timey, well, I guess it's of that era, a strip club. And the <sighs> dancer is like in a kind of Marilyn Monroe-esque look, I think. On purpose, she's wearing like a pink satin gown with black satin gloves. It's like the Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend look. Yeah, it's very old timey. Yeah. Booby tassels. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like in the graduate, like <laughs> <Yeah>. the, <laughs> the tassel. Not quite as aggressive as no. putting it on someone's head. No, know, but God. yeah, it was a different, different time than you know our modern era of strip dancing. And and then the waitresses um, are wearing like kind of a Playboy Club look, like cat ears and lingerie and garters, um, which is also kind of a tie-in with Marilyn Monroe. Um, she got her, she was the first Playboy cover, not willing, wittingly, but that's, you know, <sighs> how that magazine started. Um, the waitress looks annoyed, but there's lots of women there too, which I do think is kind of interesting. I don't know what the take of that was because... We're not these type of people, but we can go watch this type of performance. Yeah. And the women, they say, like, work at the automat in their building. Yeah, what is an automat? Actually, is it a laundry? Well, so I saw in, in our gym the other day, like, one of the, the, like, medicine balls or the exercise balls had, like, the word automat on it. And so I wondered if they make, like, tires and, like, things like that. Because oh. it's, like, that same kind of rubbery material. I don't know. That's just, like, a huh. guess. But anyway, it's, like, these women are sort of, like, the... Same as, like, you know, the same group of or type of people that are the secretaries at their office, but because they work at a different office, they're, like, new and exciting and sexy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Then um, 
you know, Sal is there and he again makes a comment. Like one of the women says, I love this place. It's hot, loud, and full of men. And Sal says, I know what you mean. It's another kind of awkward, awkward thing where, yeah. he, you know, it's apparent he's trying to cover up his sexual orientation. Anyway, time for Pete to, uh, again, flex his just really intoned creep muscle. Yeah, uh, he's like coming on much too strong with one of the women and like, you know, um, putting his hand up her leg and all this stuff and she's telling him to stop. Um, Good for Automat. Yeah, really, she's like... She really... And she goes sticks, and sits yeah. on the other side of the table. It's like, I, you're hurting me. Like, stop. Even after he apologizes, she moves. Which, yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, but yes, these gals... But other other than that, kind of these gals are very, you know, sort of charmed by them. The guys are drinking... Buying them all their drinks. Um, it's one of those weird moments that you never expect to go well, where one person from your group meets another group and brings them over. Yeah. Like, I don't think like, this is going to be weird. I don't want to talk to these randoms. Yeah. But apparently this worked out to an extent other than Pete and yeah, his lady. That, that woman. Yeah. Rightfully. But let's transition to the, let's go up the ladder, I guess, where Don and Rachel are having a nice private drink because Don and Rachel points this out almost immediately in this scene. So, you're going to ply me with drinks and convince me what a terrible mistake I'm making. It's quite a drink. You got in trouble, didn't you? He doesn't necessarily accept that, but it's pretty clear that they both know what's going on here. Yeah. Which is, you know, Don orders a Manhattan and she just, she knows. No, he gets a whiskey meat in this episode. Oh, does he? Or this scene, yeah. And she orders a Mai Tai that comes in one of those tiki glasses. So she's oh, like, yeah. I'm going to flaunt what I know and what I do. I do what I like. And she, and, too, is like, she's like glammed up. Like the other gals are wearing their cute, like going out outfits. But she's like wearing, you know, night, like a nice night bar outfit, like a goldenrod color dress with embroidered pink and yellow flowers. She's rich. Yeah. It's clear. She's rich yeah. and she's really stylish and takes pride in right. her, you know, command of fashion and her command of her business. And this scene is really, again, it sh it sets up a more interesting conversation than when Don mm -hmm. stormed out of the oh, meeting. Yeah. But also it still shows that she's more than equal of a sparring partner yeah. for most of the scene. And it's like there's a heavy sexual undertone. Like Don asks if she can, he can ask her a personal question, and she says, "Don't you want to get a second drink of me first? And there's this very flirty like implication. And he asks why she's not married, and she says, "You know, you wouldn't. No one would ask you, a man, about this. Why should I have to choose the? Or you know, if the choice is between putting on an apron and the thrill of making my father's business what it should be." Right, and it's just so strange the way she flirts after being such a powerful presence mm -hmm. in the office that that is so se sexually overt. Yeah. You get a second drink in me. But it's still, like, secondary to her being like, you need to grovel to me, and, right. you which know, is, we know what this is. Which is why when Don offers the second drink, she says no. No, but yeah. But you can tell the boss that you, you charmed me. me. Like, you're did supposed you, to. did your yeah. job. I'll come back. Um, and then there's, yeah, another great quote from Don. She won't get married because she's never been in love. I think I wrote that. I used to sell nylons. And he also tells her that 
what you call love was invented by guys like me to sell nylons. And finally, at the end of his little speech. I'm living like there's no tomorrow because there isn't one. Like, okay, Dawn. Yeah. Where'd you, where'd you file that one away in the archives? Oh, I know. Just, right. Campaigns. Exactly. And then Pete, not having <laughs> made a good impression oh, with the Automat gals, shows up to Peggy's apartment in Bay Ridge. How he got the address, we don't know. Again, at least a 45-minute train ride. I'm sure he took a cab, but still. It's not good. Yeah. It's not a good look. And his, you know, opening flirting line is that he's getting married on Sunday, which you have to be like, you know, a Sunday wedding is either a more budget conscious or it's old money as fuck and you don't care that I people know. are going to be hungover at work on Monday because you're just going to have your wedding on a Sunday anyway. I know you have many thoughts on Sunday weddings. Yeah. But it, it is a weird line. What is he saying? He's like, you know. I'm getting married. I'm, like, I'm booked up after this. Let's get in here. But, like, I'm still engaged, but let's also have sex in your apartment while you're, when your Effie or Romeo goes asleep, which they do. And, of course, Pete strikes out a fourth time in the episode. Oh, no, he doesn't. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, it's just bizarre. <laughs> like, this, I don't know if it's just because, again, like, Peggy's been down her throat. It's been all, down her throat all day. Like, this is what her, her where her place is and in being like a, a woman in this in business or if she's just kind of like bored or horny. Just, yeah just a hard day at work i need, bored to, and horny. need to let loose yeah boardy yeah. horny uh, but or just like whatever like it's more annoying to send you away right i don't know well he did come all that way i just don't yeah i don't know the mindset but it doesn't seem like number one this is it's not yeah. like she's like, oh, thank God you came. Like, right. I've been waiting all day. But it also doesn't seem like she's freaked out at no, all. No, she's, she's just like, like all right, let's, let's do go. it. I ain't getting turned down twice. Yeah, maybe that's like she's Who like. Who knows? Yeah. And then we'll flip back to Dawn for the episode's ending. On the train back. Back to where? Oh, back to his home with his wife and his children. Oh, oh wow. yeah. And after, what a. What an amazing 24 hours it seems like. Yeah, he didn't sleep here last night. We know that. And now we go into the pastoral world of outside of the city. This yes, train ride the birds. This is like every single, you know, painting that you've seen of the 1950s U.S. Yeah. suburbs and countryside. Yeah, it's like a Norman Rockwell. And like... There are a number of freeze frames where, like, he's with his kids. He's with his wife. And they purposefully freezes the mm -hmm. actors Just like, to, like show you how like yeah like you said idyllic it is yeah. and like betty looks gorgeous ah, she's lying yes. in bed looking perfect we'll wife, with her yes. makeup and hair done and like a big ass diamond and she's like really like she's also really flirty with don you know you can tell that they have like a like a passion and a spark in their marriage yeah and it's a again a counterpart to the other women that we've met yeah yeah this is a woman that She's not working. She's not she's, working. She may know, have never she's worked. That, oh, she. Yeah, we find out later she worked as a model. Because, yeah, of course she did. Look at her. Right. Um, but, yeah, and, you know, they're really, like, tender with each other and flirty. And then there's this the last scene is, like you said, a freeze frame. Yeah, a Norman Rockwell pan out of Don with his hands on both kids' heads. 
and Peggy peeking through the door. The kids are sleeping. And he's just staring, I guess, out of a window or just yeah. into space. It's And she's gazing upon him. Yes. It's an yeah. odd ending to after everything that's gone on in this episode With to him, just end yeah. in this piece. Yeah. I yeah. And then it just I mean, fades out, and that is the pilot of Mad Men. So this episode on IMDb ranks 8.2 stars, and it's 65 out of 92 as far as the episodes. Yeah, take that for what you will. It's nice to have a ranking system. We'll be ranking the episodes as we go. Mm-hmm. So obviously right now this is number one, and what a <laughs> start to I think show. for a pilot, it's It's, it's one of the stronger strong. pilots. Yeah. I can remember it. Yeah, and it just like it's so like self assured in the show, the show itself, and yeah, and does such a good job of like seamlessly bringing you into this era mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't feel like you know like how and Goodfellas does it right, but like you don't need that overlying exposition narration of where we are, why I'm here, what I want. Oh yeah, it just jumps right in. This is just like through and into a moment of their lives Mm -hmm. and here we are, but you get a good feel for everything and every character. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, So at the end of the episodes, we will do some kind of summary categories. Um, So favorite quote of the episode. Mine was... Joan telling Peggy that, you know, within a couple of years, you'll, if you make the right moves, you'll be in the city with the rest of us. But of course, if we really make the right moves, you'll be in the country and you won't have to work at all. And so it kind of, it's a moment where Joan is establishing herself as, you know, having authority over Peggy in the office, but that, you know, they're all um, under the authority of the men in the office. But the ultimate kind of role for women is not to usurp the men's authority there but to leave the work environment and to you know meet those ideals of domesticity that were existent in the time and just yeah just kind of such a like clever way to to phrase that to peggy i think as it often will my best quote goes to don and don dressing down pete and saying Ah, oh, you're young, and you think this world is just one big bra strap waiting to be snapped. Uh, what an image, and I think it kind of gives you a sense of how quick Don can be in creating an image, and that's mm-hmm. what makes him so good at his job, but also just perfectly encapsulating what he thinks of Pete. Yeah, and what everyone thinks of Pete. Um, a, a similar category is Sterling's Gold, which is the funniest or best quote of Roger only for the episode. Sterling's Gold will come up again in the actual storyline. Yes, not make that this phrase, up. yes. Sterling's Gold is <laughs> oh, phenomenal. Um, what so, would you say your, your favorite quote is? Um, mine is where he, where he tells Don that he looks like a hundred bucks and it's meant as a snide kind of diss <laughs> yeah it's so good it has to be a long night yeah yeah i i just roger again just the way he talks to don I, yeah it, it's amazing what's your favorite i think that i like his response after the lucky strike meeting when he says don i don't know if you were drunk or not drunk but that was inspired yeah. and basically it comes across of what roger thinks of this company it's like, I don't care what condition you're in. Make me money. Yeah. 
Yeah. Make and us look good. You're, yeah, you're good at this kind of thing. And so let's did. just, yeah, yeah, be that because way. Whatever you did there, keep doing it. I, I don't know. It's just a nice turn of phrase. Yeah. And you could have just said, John, that, Don, that was inspired. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then best outfits. So I don't know. This wasn't, this isn't like the height of the fashion of the show. I liked Rachel's like purple Chanel suit that she wears at the meeting where she's trying, you know, trying to dress in a way to show herself as part of the same um, upper echelon of, of people and um, to be taken seriously, but also, you know, in a very like feminine kind of, yeah, like girl boss outfit. Interesting. What was yours? Well, I mean, all suits are suits. Um, there were two contenders in this, Roger's three-piece. But I think for all of the other ways he loses in this episode, Pete's blue suit is, is just signature, and it looks really good. It's a, just a nice deep blue. Mm -hmm. It's very different than what most of the other characters wear in this episode, which is a lot of black and a lot of gray. Yeah. And uh, if you can pull off a really deep like gray blue, blue suit, more power to you. Who do you think is fired? Who would you fire from this episode? Um, I fire Pete just because he establishes himself as this piece of shit, creep, like slime ball, undermining his boss, <laughs> making like sexist comments about Peggy, but then also like wanting to hook up with her, like creeping out the automat girls. You know, he's just like a a big creep. Yeah, and up front. And just like entitled. Like it's like, yeah, he's got this job even though he's just like a terrible person. Pete's on probation from episode one. Yeah, sure. I know. But God, I have to fire that doctor. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I just that scene no. it I've just the scene does so much to make the viewer feel uncomfortable. It's so bad. I yeah. And <laughs> I just can't even fathom. That this is what your average doctor... The doctors are supposed to be the do-gooders. Yeah. And yeah. this guy, man, light up a cigarette and dive in. And, like, slut-shame you while also agreeing to give, you know, help you for the reason you're there, but make you feel shitty about it, yeah. basically. Oh, yeah. it is just a horrifying. It's the scene that I forgot about in this mm -hmm. first episode, which makes me think that I blocked it out. <laughs> yeah. But rewatching. All right. And who gets promoted? For me, it is Don introduced to us as this enigmatic cipher that moves in these different social milieus and, you know, asserts why he is so powerful in his job and why, even though, you know, he, he's got some internal insecurities, why he's, like, the man. There's a reason that Don is the main protagonist of this show. Yeah, he is a fascinating yeah, character. Yeah, he's beautifully written. I'm going to promote Rachel Mencken. Mm, mm -hmm. I think that the two scenes she has with Don, who is otherwise the most charismatic and fascinating character in the show, is both times almost rendered speechless, if not just completely rattled by the way that Rachel interrogates him and the way that Rachel is unfazed by his overt power play yeah his overt exertion of power this is a woman that is completely in control of what she wants and how she deals with other people mm -hmm. and is completely aware of how she's going to be negatively 
treated in situations. And what she's going to do to combat that, yeah. Well said. All right, well, we will um, sign off here and see you for our next episode. Um, a little hint for episode two is that the drink is going to be a vodka gimlet. So, right. um, a lobster Newberg if you're really getting into it. Yeah, <laughs> if you really want to fucking rage. Don't recommend it. Have All another right. drink. Yep. All right. Bye-bye.